Tired of outdated marketing advice aimed at the industrial and manufacturing space? My name is Salim Malouf. Join me and my co-host Chris Carolyn as we deliver candid insights from growth-minded leaders, helping you drive results and tackle modern challenges. Cut through the noise to get no-nonsense expertise. Welcome to the Manufacturing Marketing Show. With over 15 years of digital marketing experience and an MBA from St. Thomas University, Christine has a wealth of expertise helping small business owners develop intentional marketing strategies tailored to their specific business goals. As both a certified story brand coach and a certified business made simple coach, she guides entrepreneurs on how to clarify their brand messaging in a way that truly resonates with their ideal customer and provides them with systems and strategies to build a rock-solid foundation for long-term success. Christine has worked with companies across a wide range of industries, from tech startups to restaurants to consultants. No matter the business, she loves partnering with entrepreneurs to create marketing plans that attract new customers and elevate businesses to the next level. Christine, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited for today's topic. Uh, you know, we've been chatting a little bit, talking about the complexities of just design, right? Whether it's messaging or, you know, the nice crafts and party planners, uh, good looking logos, colors, but also, you know, user, user experience and user interface is often overlooked too. So, um, kind of want to throw it over to you when, when, when you're thinking about design, um, and specifically the balance between form and function, you know, where, where do you like to start? I started my company about 10, 15 years ago, or I've been in the business for 10, 15 years. And, and one of the big things that has rung true for me for forever is it has to function before it is pretty. And so, it, you know, that is applicable to a lot of different aspects of marketing. But I, I've called myself the IKEA designer. Like IKEA isn't always the most fashionable type of product. But it, it's usually very functional and it's designed to be function first. And so, um, you know, when I think about designing something, whether it is um, messaging or crafting messaging, whether it's designing a homepage, whether it's designing a logo or a brochure, it's always about what does the thing need to do? Who does it need to speak to? Um, and then making the, the, the form of it follow its function, essentially. Um, so when I, there's, there's, a lot of different applications for this too, you know, not just design. Um, we've talked a little bit about uh, just offline about um, like messaging, right? And knowing your audience. Um, and so there's a lot of different applications for, for form follows function. This is a conversation that's ongoing with me and Chris. We're both form over function, uh, we're both a function over form guys, but to the differing degrees. And, and that overlap is where a lot of our conversations go. So uh, it would be interesting if you can elaborate more on like some of the details about when when does uh, function stop and when do we feel like okay we're we're ready to move on to you know uh, aesthetics if you will yeah so I think it really is audience dependent right and there's um, when when you think about who you're speaking to it always it can either be like a group of people or like an, an individual person or an individual kind of persona. Um, I think there are people who, you know, even when you have clients, like sometimes I'm like, this person is not going to understand it unless I make it pretty, right? Then there are those people who are like, 
I don't really care what it looks like. I just need to understand it. And so it really depends on like who you're presenting to, what the, what the, you know, that what the audience expects, kind of what form it's in, like what, you know, is it, is this a final product? Is this a prototype? Is this, you know, um, is this just a wireframe, those kinds of things. And so the function plus the audience is going to define the level at which the form comes in, if that makes sense. It's interesting that you mentioned audience. Uh, a lot of the times uh, the work we do never sees the light of day because it doesn't clear the first audience, which is the internal stakeholders. Uh, I've had so many instances where uh, I've had this whole prototype, functional prototype that I wanted feedback on functionality, but there's some little aspect of the aesthetics that is missing. And then it catches the eye of a stakeholder that's usually too busy, has a full day of meetings and finds an opportunity to you know dismiss the whole presentation with this one little aesthetic uh, problem and says like, go fix that. We'll come back. We'll, we'll talk about this next week or something like that. Uh, have you uh, seen this uh, situation? And if so, how do you usually you know, circumvent it and, and work through that challenge. Yeah. So I have seen this a lot. I feel like it's, um, I've, I feel like I've seen it more with founders or with, uh, um, people who have, um, are a little bit higher up the, up the chain, right. Um, because they're very, you know, and it, if they expect something and then it doesn't quite match with what they're expecting, they're very quick to dismiss it for a variety of reasons. And so this is kind of where knowing, you know, are you, knowing what they're expecting and kind of being able to preemptively identify, you know, like what does this person need for us to move forward? Um, it's kind of a bummer too, because a lot of times there's like six people in those meetings and then you're presenting to the one person who's, you know, the final decision maker and you may be, you know, missing part of it, but you have to kind of present to them to get it over to the next hump. Um, it's honestly, it's playing games, which I don't really love. And again, you know, I'm a very cut and dry like here's what it is and I like to sometimes overly explain all the ins and outs um, and that's one thing that I've um, had to really learn it, from a knowing your audience perspective it's like how much does this de how much detail does this person need because a lot of times the devil is in the details especially with these higher level c-suite individuals and so telling them enough to get them to like you know does it check the boxes that they expect and then also to some extent, getting them to be curious. Um, one of the ways to get buy-in is to make something feel like it's uh, someone else's idea. And so if you leave enough mystery or uh, you create enough curiosity in the presentation, um, sometimes you can kind of like get them to, you know, almost present for you or kind of, you know, get them to get on the track before you even like present it. It's kind of a, a sneaky technique. So I think all these things, you know, point to the challenges of design by committee. And as much as I see like managing expectations and you got to have one person in charge, it just doesn't seem to be the reality because I've seen it go the other way where you're trying to show off, okay, the function in the UX and, and even in the messaging has already been decided. Now we're, we're focused on aesthetics, but now a new stakeholder enters and they don't like the word that's used over here. So now we have like a wordsmithing session. Yeah. So when you think about, I mean, we try to manage expectations up front as much as we can, but when there's new persons, you know, entering, how do you deal with like those, those challenges as they pop up? Yeah. 
I have a really explicit example of this. So um, I, I'm helping, I'm actually part of a team that's building an app and um, I'm doing it pro bono and they, um, I decided to take them through StoryBrand and do messaging framework with them. And so we were doing, you know, we did those, the one-liner, we did narrative, we did the whole SP7 framework and we were trying to craft the one-liner and they were very, very intent on having the, the two words curated content in the one-liner. And for a variety of reasons, it just didn't feel right. Um, and it just was like, I really didn't like it. And at the end of the day, I had to be like, okay, you know what? You have to kind of decide, is this the hill I want to die on? Or is this something that I can work with and maybe like work around in some of the other things that we put into the ether? Um, you know, can we have the homepage, you know, use different language or, or even like, can I, you know, challenging yourself to lean into like what this person is like honing in on and trying to figure out like, what's behind the need for, well, it turns out they had this in their mind that like, if this was part of our messaging, it would like immediately put us to the top of the ranking for uh, curated content. And I'm like, great, someone's going to type in curated content, and we're just going to pop to the top of the SERPs, right? Um, and so you know, trying to like get curious yourself around like what is behind this. And then if you can kind of like figure that out and then and then work either with it or work around it, um, you're going to have a lot more success. Um, one of the things, too, that I've had to grow up into my business is realizing that I don't have all the answers. And I think as like humans and as business owners and, you know, the more we know, the less, or the the more we the more we think we know, the less we know. Kind of that that you know. And sometimes you just have to be like, okay, I may not be the authority on this, or I may not have the right answer. And and really giving the other person's perspective some time, and be like, if this were true, what would that mean? And then if it if it truly is like this is just harebrained, and this person has you know they're they're just they're just on one. Um, then either working with it or working around it um, in some other way, you know, downplaying it or having a sidebar or, you know, some of the yeah. way. No, I think uh, there's usually always space for some empathy and getting good at asking the right questions to kind of dig into why and where the challenge is coming from. Um, but even more to your opening point, the having the goal up front, uh, you know, it's just so crucial in these situations so that we can all point back to like, you know, this is, this is what we agreed to that we're doing. Uh, if we need to change that, that's fine. Just know that we're changing that. Like if we can't do this thing. Um, so I love that, the empathy angle, cause there's always, you know, and once you get there, hopefully there's some space for education, you know, as you're having the conversations too, they're not, isn't always, you know, depending on the position you're in. Um, but always like, just like we don't have all the answers, they likely don't. And, you know, we're usually working with smart people that don't mind, um, education in the right way. Sometimes mm -hmm. I haven't seen this advice in practice, but what I would even tell a business owner today is, you know, talk to the market, do customer interviews, try to use the language that they use. Yes. Uh, I've only seen that work for positive language. There's just a lot of risk perceived in using any kind of negative language, 
And I think as we move forward today, sometimes that's the only way to break through the noise, especially when you're in a commoditized market or quality and reliability and maybe true, but it doesn't really differentiate you. Have you ever used, like, how do you go about engaging like customer feedback and customer interviews, like alongside this, this work? Especially since those terminologies are like crucial and central and a daily occurrence for, for, for these um, users. Yeah. So there's, I think there's two things here. One is um, using the words that your customers use, which is all about clarity. Um, and it's also a lot about SEO too, right? You know, if you're using the words that customers are choosing, you know, the, they ask you answer kind of mentality of building your messaging. Um, and so, you know, using language that is, you know, going back to form and function, that is functional, clear, you know, and then kind of enhance it with, you know, more of the embell embellish it. Um, then, you know, to your point about how do you find that language, um, you know, and from a review standpoint, I mean, there is actually a process that um, you can go about to like mine reviews on Amazon. So if you find, um, and Amazon has like everything. I mean, there are so many ways that you can use Amazon, you know, for product and service research. And so looking at Amazon customer reviews and digging through it, there's a tool and um, I can I can dig it up and the, like a tool and a process that you can actually go through and like mine the reviews and find the words, the keywords to it. And so that's a really cool way to kind of gauge the market because, you know, most people have access to, you know, and it's a, it's a very, um, a very good way to get some customer research. But um, where I find a disconnect a lot and this, I've found this to be true a lot in um, e-commerce, but also just in, you know, in messaging in general is the way that a business talks about their products and services is not the way the customer is shopping for those products and services. So um, I, there were quite a number of e-commerce websites that I worked on when I worked for an agency and um, we would constantly have to coach our clients like the the commerce sellers on like you may think that this product catalog makes sense to you but that's not how customers are shopping it and you're actually at an advantage if you don't have insider knowledge like i enjoy working with industries that i don't know a lot about because i bring to them the the clarity of like mm, that doesn't make sense to me as a consumer and maybe i'm not the ideal audience but I can look at a product catalog or I can read a product description or a service description and know immediately, is this going to land with the consumer, even if they are the ideal client, if it's got, you know, insider language, or if it is very clear that they're trying to avoid saying something negative, right, about it. Um, if it's very clear that they're trying to embellish it before they try and explain it. Um, those are things that are going to make it really challenging for people to ultimately buy from you. Um, and, you know, to your point of like one of the ways that I have found to stand out in the market is just to be quippy and well, um, just like, you know, quick and, and, and short. Um, I've done a couple of like magazine publications and one of them was for a hockey, like a hockey magazine. Um, and, we designed it like we had like a half page spread and I was like, how are we going to stand out in this magazine? And 
um i think what we ended up landing on was like half page it was all black and there was like one word on it um and it was a few years ago and i don't or two words or something like that like you know hockey camp or something like that instead of you know it had like it was like a black ice you know with like ice skates or it was like hockey camp or something like that and it was like so clear like exactly what the call to action was exactly what you know there wasn't like best toppy camp of you know in the twin cities metro area or whatever it was just like you know by us right um and so i think like too there's there's a lot of times where the marketing department feels like they're not pulling their weight if they don't present this like beautiful embellished fluffy gorgeous you know well described product description or or you know process description or whatever and at the end of the day like it works or you know like just the more clear and simple that you can be um often is going to give you the edge oh you hit a couple couple nerves there uh i know for me like people know me know that i like to explain some stuff from time to time and i use a lot of words to do it uh but even i get frustrated at how well uh, a linkedin post that's like one sentence long uh, works, you know, just because it it's easy to consume and it gets to the point generally. One interesting point you mentioned is um, talking about uh, how the customers uh, think about it and you not coming from the space, not having the curse of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of situations where you have to manage a stakeholder that believes they understand the market better than the consumers do. And that's where uh, there's a clash of ideology because there's a school that says we know better than the customer and there's a school that says you need to listen to what the customer is asking for and give it to them. There's definitely a middle ground there, but like I would, I would be interested in seeing how you navigate that. Again, this comes down to knowing your audience again. There are times to be technical and there are times to be um, aspirational, if you will. Um, and there are times to be like really, really clear and very like, buy this you know it works it's it's going to you know whatever however clear you know clarity is about cutting as many words out as you can and still retaining the essence of what you're trying to convey the balance of letting the expert or the the subject matter expert you know drive the messaging train versus the you know person who's helping you know the messaging or the marketer you know in my role the way that i um, engage in my with my clients is I, I spend an hour with them and I learn about their business. I ask them 56,000 questions about their business. It's my job to do a good job of understanding enough about their business to speak to the general public about their business. So one red flag for me is if I don't understand what they do by the end of that call, usually it's, I'm just going to like say, you know, I have an MBA. I have, I've, you know, I've been in market business for many years. I've worked with a lot of different people. I'm curious. I, I'm very smart. And if I don't understand what you're doing, it's probably because you think it's so complicated to explain. And if you can't explain to me in an hour what you're doing, it's, it's not because I don't understand it. It's because there's like some convolution in there. And so after that meeting, if I feel like that, it's usually like, okay, I think that I need to drive the messaging train a little bit more than the than the subject matter expert. So I guess like that's for me a gut check is like if I don't understand what you're doing, then clearly I need to clarify it. And I also think that like, all right, I need to speak to your consumer a little bit more than like trusting you to use your language. 
And so then my job gets a little bit harder, but it's also, you know, more fun to try and figure it out. Right. And then when I present it to them and it's very clear and there, yeah, I had some guy, um, one of my clients to tell me the other day, we've been searching for these words for the last 10 years. And I was like, biggest compliment of my life. Right. Or at least of this. Yeah. And so when, yeah, it's kind of the like gut feeling of like, why don't I understand what you're talking about? Yeah. I'm sure most of the time it's because they don't understand what they're talking about. And right. You know, it's not anything on them. It's just like one of these modern challenges when, especially in these traditional organizations where they just pick the right product, they have a really great niche and it's just worked for so many years. And now just there's a different world and they got to figure out how to say things, you know, that they're used to saying in person, mm -hmm. you know, using insider baseball language, like with their industry can okay. work. But as soon as you try to surface it, up to a website or up to a LinkedIn post going to fall flat. I love that opportunity to help them clarify. They're not, you know, when it is the founder and they've been doing it, you know, one way for years, it can be a challenge, but those are some of the biggest breakthroughs too. Um, yeah. One of the things that, especially for like certain markets, the sales industry in certain markets, like specifically manufacturing, I've noticed a lot of times they rely so heavily on those sales um, relationships, like, like man to man sales relationship. The problem with that is as technology advances and as those companies start to rely more on the messaging, it's really, really important that the salespeople have the right language. And that's one of the disconnects that I find a lot in um, certain industries is that because there's that legacy, this is how we do business. Um, a lot of times like that can you know, that that's how we do business is like we talk about it. And instead of like using the technology to move it forward and like letting your website be your 24 seven, um, you know, salesperson. Right. And and there needs to be a better alignment within organizations about the messaging and how they talk about and to their customers so that like when you're talking to somebody on the phone, you're having the same conversation in the same language as you are when you're you know visiting a website or getting their sales material, that kind of stuff. So um, that congruency across the organization definitely uh, is is lacking in certain industries. You mentioned uh, the industrial space and uh, in a lot of like a s very small slivers of these uh, verticals, sometimes there's a like a minimum bar of industry jargon that you need to clear before mm -hmm. your audience kind of like flips a switch and starts believing your credibility in the space. Have you encountered that? And like, uh, how how easy is it to recognize and uh, not fall back into we need to make this as simple as possible and revert back to okay, we need to include a specific type of jargon to build you know credibility in the space. Yeah. So um, there is um, there is definitely a level of jargon that um, that you need. So um, one company that I worked for. Um, creates quote large scale metal fabricate fabrications okay they make big metal shit and that's <laughs> so there's kind of this like dance between like what is a metal fabrication well their industry is gonna you know industry jargon right a fabrication is you know that they're they're gonna understand that language right big welded funny but, enough i understood what you meant Okay, well, there you go. But, but then like, you know, to, um, you know, when you're, again, audience wise, like if you're, um, you know, if you're the organization and you're talking to 
potential buyers, right? You know, whatever space they're in, you, you're probably going to use that language. If you're talking to, I don't know, potential employees, you may need to toe the line between what is like industry jargon for the industry and the, what you make versus like their job set, right? Their skill set. Um, you know, maybe like all, all you need to know is that you need to know how to weld. It doesn't really matter what you're welding, right? But Maybe for some other people who are, you know, if you're hiring for the sales position, like, well, fabrications is going to be kind of an important, you know, word for your, um, you know, for your, for your, um, for your sales calls. Um, and so there's definitely a level of jargon that, you know, you kind of, again, knowing your audience, you know, what, what do you include? Um, what do you, what do you expect? You know, what level of expectation do you have of your employees to know and to use? And then, you know, when you're talking about stuff, you know, your one-liner, um, you know, how you talk to, to depending on who you're talking to, um, changes. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's an excellent point. And I love when you can help people click on like the marketing that you're doing over here can also be used for, you know, recruiting and all of that stuff. And it's all interconnected, like all this, like the feeling that you got to do everything differently starts to get a little bit easier when you realize not everything is different. You just have to, you know, find those common threads. And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, it is the audience and who you're trying to buy either your product or, you know, into your company to, to work there. Right. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, so we've got, we think we know our audience and we've got our messaging in place. Um, what are some of the do's and don'ts of, of how we put that messaging on our website. So, um, from a from a website flow perspective, um, the way that I design homepages um, is is very much in line with the Story Brand framework because it just works, right? Um, everyone is used to the hero's journey; they're used to how story flows, and so when you um, if you've got your audience and you've got your messaging, you're you're probably you know, you probably aware that talking less about yourself and more about solving your customer's problem is going to be the best way to get someone to flow through your website, flow through your homepage and like click into where you want them to go. Um, one of the biggest, easiest, most uh, lucrative changes a company can make on their website is getting clear about exactly what you want your customer to do or your viewer to do. And so one of the biggest do's for a website is have a very clear call to action button. Um, you know, whether that is request a quote, whether it's buy now, whether it's, you know, uh, visit us, right? Come, come on in. Um, whether it's apply now, you know, sometimes the call to action is for an application and messaging, you know, you're, you're, that may be the thing that you want, you know, that's what your website is for. Um, the biggest thing, you know, before you even get into the words of the website is to like make sure that it's really clear in your mind and in the minds of what uh, and in your consumer mind, what what, you know, when they come to your website, like, do you give them a way to do the thing that is going to solve their problem? Right. Um, and so that's like kind of the biggest thing. Um, I would say that that is like the biggest function, right, is you want your website to convert and whatever that conversion is. Now, where I see things kind of fall off the rails is when you've got messaging that doesn't align with your company goals or your company goals 
are uh, not well defined. So I work with an organization right now who has a, you know, they have pretty clear, um, you know, what they want their customer, their, who they, what they want to convert, but there's like a couple of things they want to do. Um, and it's very unclear, like which goal is like the biggest. So um, there's a couple of ways that this can manifest. Like one of them is um, for agent for organizations that have like membership, like, is it become a member or is it like, see all, you know, come to an event or, or see all the things that our organization is doing or, or, you know, get involved or sponsor, right? There's a lot of different calls to action. Um, you know, with manufacturing spaces, um, there's a lot of call right now to apply, right? And so the, the duality of audiences does get in the way sometimes of messaging. So, you kind of have to define what is your company goal. Like we want people to request a quote more so than we want anybody to do anything else. So just get really clear about what your company goals are and make sure your messaging aligns with that company goal. Um, so clear call to action that aligns with a company goal, um, preferably a measurable one because it's always nice to you know take baselines and then six months from now, hey, look at how well our website's doing. Um, and then there's the thing called the grunt test, which is what your the homepage of your the top part of your website needs to 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 pass the grunt test and the grunt test is who are you for how does it make your life better and how do i get it or what do you do um how does it make my life better and how do i get it so what do you do uh, we sell widgets why does it make my life better because you're gonna you know grow wings and fly and and how do i get it well you, per you click here to to buy now um you know flying is yeah so can i can i get one of those yeah right yeah i this <laughs> apparently i want to like grow wings and fly out of here um it's not too cold today but it's kind of chilly um the um so that's kind of the the home page needs to and and once you once you if your customer aligns with those three things are like oh yep i need that to solve my problem oh and here it is like here's how i get it then they're going to then you then you're going to hook them and then they're going to engage and they're going to want to learn more. So you've piqued their curiosity and they're going to want to scroll. And hopefully they're going to want to click the button to do the thing that you want them to do. So Yeah. No, I think that's I remember when the grunt test was first introduced to me and like just with the scientific background, the explanation of like our our brains have evolved to try and save calories at all costs. And if your messaging uh, requires me to feel like it's work. I'm I'm leaving immediately, no matter how right. much of a fit it is. So on the on the counterpoint of that, like, and maybe this is just because I'm a marketer too, but there's nothing better than looking at a homepage that like just resonates immediately, right? Yeah. Like all the imaging, all the messaging, like just they understand the problem that I've come there to to try and solve. Yeah. And it's really a powerful thing that sticks with you. And the biggest pitfall for companies is wanting to highlight their accolades and what they do and why it's amazing for themselves. So like talking too much about themselves. And it's even for like the most humble companies, it's what they fall into all the time. Um, you know, and it's talking about themselves and but how are we going to sell anything if we don't tell people how great we are? Well, nobody cares about how great you are. They want to know how great you are and why you're, why why that's going to make them great, right? And so trying to sell that, and that really should be part of like when you do messaging, like instilling that and getting buy-in for 
for that in the messaging part of it is going to make your application to whatever marketing you do a whole lot easier. It's it's interesting you, you mentioned uh, them talking about their accolades. I understand that a lot of times you want to establish trust. You want to establish that the company has a longstanding pedigree. And a lot of times uh, you see form become that function of establishing trust, especially when uh, a lot of people have prejudices, prejudices like me. Uh, when a website doesn't pass the 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 form the the form sniff test, like if there's a there's a you know a lower bar that if a website doesn't cross or an application doesn't cross, I generally tend to not uh, you know dig too deep. I uh, there are some baseless assumptions like this company's too small or not resourced enough or whatever. They're not presenting you know a minimum uh, a minimum minimum level of aesthetic polish. Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel about that? Do you ever try to navigate it? And what are some some like key advice? Especially, this has been a conversation with me and Chris as we're building our, you know, media uh, media arm of the of the organization, and we're building our our podcast pages. And there's been this back and forth of like, uh, no, it needs to be a clear description of what the podcast is and why they should be a guest, and. I've been working on making sure that the the page looks aesthetically like we're well established, like we know what we're doing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, eye catchy. Like, yes, I want to be a part of this high production, you know, mm -hmm. but we're two guys doing a podcast, so right. So I'm going to use the manufacturing industry and as, as an example again here. So um, <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the clients who come to me in that space are coming to me with a website that was built in HTML in like 94, right? And like, it still says like copyright 1994. And you're like, this is going to be great. There's literally nothing that we can do wrong because anything is going to be better what you than what you have, right? So if I'm a consumer coming to that website, I'm probably going to be like, oh yeah, it's just another man, you know, manufacturing website, whatever. Um, there is, however, a balance of if because, you know, manufacturing companies are kind of in that, you know, um, technical industry, it, it's, it's more and more people are upgrading their websites, but there is sometimes a degradation of trust that comes when your website is like shiny and bright, right? And, and it, and because you're doing more of the like marketing dance on your website, sometimes it can present in a way to, or it can feel like you're losing that like technical aspect of it. So in those cases, there's two things that you can do. One of them is to systematically or like, you know, gently infuse some of that jargon, right? And use those words that say like, oh yeah, you know, we, you know, and, and like, you know, strong and white, you use fewer words. It's, it's a, it's a little writing book that basically says like the fewer words. So you know, use the technical jargon, explain it as much as you need to, and then like period, full stop kind of thing. Um, the other thing is you can do use imagery that will help communicate the idea of whatever level of technical aptitude that you need to communicate. Um, and so um, there's, again, kind of the balance between, um, you know, updating a website to make it more uh aesthetically pleasing but not losing some of the integrity and some of the authority that you have from you know a website that was clearly built in 94 and like this company was clearly in you know or whatever it was um you know clearly been in business for that long 
Yeah, I think like, and I'm, I didn't know this is where we were going to get to today, but I think the key is just understanding that this is probably more complex than you would like it to be as a business owner. Just understanding that your website is a part of your business. Your digital presence matters. And it's also not something that you can, you know, add to the, to the workload of, an, of your best engineer, right? It's, it's understanding audiences, it's understanding, um, communication, you know, language, messaging, design, all that stuff is important. Mm -hmm. And so when you, if you come to an organization, you know, let's say they, they've never had a full-time marketer, um, and they want to start getting serious about this. Obviously you're only one person, like what kind of advice do you give them as far as, you know, maybe countering the concerns of, of boiling the ocean or, you know, how am I going to, you know, take this seriously moving forward? So one of the big things that I promote in my work is intentionality. So you don't need to boil the whole ocean, but if you're saying like, I need this water so that I can heat my dinner up, right? So you're going to heat this bucket of water intentionally to do something with it, right? And so when you have intentional, when you in, when you go about marketing in an intentional way, it doesn't matter how much you do or how little you do. It just matters that whatever you're doing, you're doing for a specific reason. And so somebody who either, you know, they don't necessarily have to be a marketer. They could be, you know, someone in, in you know, a business coach or someone to help you think through what are your biggest opportunities and start with those first, right? Like there's, and I don't know this well enough, but there's the frog analogy, like one, you know, eat the frog one bite at a time or, or something about a, eating a frog. Anyways, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time, um, you know, and, and um, you know, figuring out what's going to be, sometimes it's what's going to be the most effective use of your marketing dollars. Um, sometimes it's going to be um, for a specific initiative because it's like time-based and you need to like hire for something maybe that you know maybe it's a hiring event maybe it's a um you know a, a, a specific contract you know that you're trying to to gun for um but doing things with intentionality is always going to get you better results than doing all the things in like a random acts of marketing sort of approach right and so um, a lot of times I work with manufacturers who are small, you know, small, small businesses, small manufacturing companies, small, small, small. Um, they can't boil the ocean, right? They have to figure out what is going to be most impactful for them in, in their business that aligns with the goals that they have set for themselves. Um, and so there's the intentionality um, of that. And then I also talk about like the, 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 the fight between strategy and execution in a lot of these companies are like, you know, the reason that they're unintentional is because they have this execution mindset as they have to execute, execute, execute. We don't have money for strategy, right? But execution without strategy is random acts of marketing and it's, you know, unintentional marketing is a waste of marketing dollars. But strategy without execution is, you know, a sitting duck, right? You're, you know, a fish in a bag. You're never going to get anywhere with it. So intentionality has to be the combination of strategy, strategic ex execution in order for it to be lucrative. Yeah, I think that's very well said um, and a great place to, to wrap today. Um, thank you so much 
so much for being here. Um, Thank you for having me, Paul. Christine, where can people find you? Um, I can be found at junebirdcreative.com and uh, some social media sites as a as a um, arm off of that off of that website. Thank you again, Christine, for uh, being on the show and for everyone listening. See you in the next one. Thank you. Thanks, Christine. Thank you.